Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by American Jewish Committee. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines to help you understand what they all mean for America, Israel, and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Manya Brashear-Pashman. On a day like today, in 1906, a group of Jewish professionals founded a group called American Jewish Committee in response to attacks against Jews in Russia. It was a bold, far-reaching experiment in global advocacy. 115 years later, that experiment continues. Today's episode is about another bold experiment. Earlier this week, AJC's Disrupt Anti-Semitism Incubator awarded $50,000 to five young American Jews with innovative ideas to take on Jew hatred. For the last two months, applications rolled in from teenagers, college students, and young professionals who described a climate of anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, often one and the same. Young Jews expressed a desire to collaborate and build coalitions and bolster Jewish pride among their peers, who they see losing confidence and a connection to Judaism. AJC Chief Advocacy Officer Belle Ueli is my guest host this week. She sat down with two young visionaries to talk about the fears and challenges facing their peers today and what they're doing about it. Belle, the mic is yours. Thanks, Manya. Joining me today are two participants in AJC's Disrupt Antisemitism Incubator. Jason Kessler is the lead anchor for Jew or False, a satirical news show that fights antisemitism and calls out misinformation. And Eddie Chavez Calderon of Uri Litzedek, an Arizona-based Orthodox Jewish social justice organization that wants to tackle anti-Semitism in the progressive circles where its volunteers are most active. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. We're so glad to have you here. Before we dive in, I think it would be great for our listeners to learn a bit more about you. If you could briefly describe your background and what has led you to be engaging in these projects to fight anti-Semitism. Eddie, why don't we start with you? Yeah, thank you so much. Eddie Chavez Calderon, he, him, his. I'm originally from Michoacan, Mexico, and I've been in the progressive Jewish community organizing scene for about three years now, proudly organizing my progressively Jewish community, proudly standing up against anti-Semitism within the Orthodox spaces and also within progressive spaces. I think community organizing has just been such a beautiful thing. And to be able to organize in the Jewish community has just been the jewel on top of my work. So nice to hear that. Jason, go ahead. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And a huge thank you to AJC for all of the support they've given me in the, in the past few weeks. It's really an amazing honor to be part of this program. And I'm humbled by all the other amazing winners. And Eddie, great to meet you and very excited to be part of this conversation and learn more about your organization. I'm Jason Kessler. I'm a lawyer turned filmmaker, and I'm starting a new show called Jew or False which is all about fighting anti-Semitism and calling out misinformation. And Jason, where are you from for our viewers? I'm from New York originally. But you're in LA now? Yeah, in LA now. Right, and Eddie, you're in Arizona? Correct. Okay, great. So before we dive in a little bit more to the details of your projects, I do think it's important for our listeners to get your perspectives, right, as two young professionals living in different places. The topic is anti-Semitism, right? So. To what degree are you seeing or even experiencing anti-Semitism right now? What's your take on on the climate that we're in? And really, how is is your perception on that informing your work? And Jason, maybe we'll start with you on this one. Sure. It's a good question and a hard one to answer, I think. First of all, I'm honored to be part of the label of young Jew. 
I've had multiple twists and turns to my life so far and, and uh, multiple careers. So as a result, I've had the benefit of going to school in three different decades. I was an undergrad, I went to law school, and I went to film school. And I experienced firsthand how the climate of anti-Semitism morphed over those decades, how certain things that felt more fringe when I was an undergrad, but I was aware of, started to be a little more mainstream by law school, and then just like in your face in film school. So over the course of my life, I've experienced anti-Semitism in a lot of different ways, varying from, you know, the things that we don't even question, like growing up and being benched on the soccer team because I had to miss so much practice for the Jewish holidays, you know, things like that, to eventually being verbally assaulted on a New York subway because somebody saw me, decided I looked Jewish and started ranting about the Jews and threatening to beat me up in front of everybody. So I've experienced the whole spectrum. What particularly concerned me over the past few years is just how much in my circles, more and more of my Jewish identity started to feel like other people saw it as controversial and the casual anti-Semitism and the extent to which things that I thought were just true, I could no longer say out loud because I was worried that people were bringing all these false assumptions to the conversation with how they would view me. And I found myself silencing myself. And I've been watching closely this whole time. It's worth also mentioning that when I was a lawyer, I focused in advertising law. And so I have a specialty in false advertising and spotting when there's a message that doesn't have substantiation. So I feel like I've been particularly adept at noticing when there's little nuggets of mistruth floating around that anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism is built upon. So now, at this point, I just couldn't sit on the sidelines any longer as things are getting worse and worse. And I see more people, more young people, standing up and calling out anti-Semitism, which takes a lot of bravery these days. And I just had to join the fight. Jason, I so appreciate you sharing that with us. And I'm so sorry for the, you know, especially the more difficult experiences you've had with, with anti-Semitism. And I'm, I'm glad you're here fighting back in, in your own way. Um, Eddie, I would, same question to you. I would love to hear about your, your experiences. For me, experiencing anti-Semitism as a convert and through my conversion process has really been difficult for me. Anti-Semitism started to flow out through my own family. I started to see it really start to almost grow with my own personal friends. And it was slight anti-Semitism that would escalate, right? It was comments of Jews controlling the world. Why are you becoming one of them? Don't you know that they are the ones that scheme people? And it would really escalate. And this anti-Semitism was something I never had experienced. I've always been in progressive spaces, mobilizing for immigrant justice and immigrant rights. I've never feared for my life. I've been in protest in front of neo-Nazis, I've been in protests where thousands of people are protesting together. Never once have I feared for my life. As soon as I had announced publicly my Judaism and really been proud of my identity as a Jew, that's when things started to shift. And things start to shift really violently, as we know that anti-Semitism has a huge spike in the way that it affects us. It can go from just being a simple comment to an unfortunate shooting. That's why things are so rough. That's why things are so scary. And as a person who's up and coming in the progressive movement, to see that there's also a blind eye where folks casually pass out anti-Semitic tropes and don't shut it down and don't dismiss it, growing up and feeling that 
you know, growing into my own spirituality, my own community, it really affects me. And it's really affecting me to the point where I have to make my voice heard. I have to take a stand and I call out folks who are typically side to side to me, you know, letting them know that this is not okay. I'm affected directly. This hurts. And I think it's important for us to be able to have a chair at the table in these spaces so that we can be the ones who ourselves are being able to stand up for our own narrative and not letting our narrative be created by somebody else. Yeah, it's so well said, Annie, and such a powerful story, your story in that way. Let me just ask you a follow-up on that, because you mentioned, obviously, doing advocacy around immigration issues, and there, of course, have been a lot of conversations you know, around intersectionality and when the issues of Israel or anti-Semitism get pulled into other conversations and how kind of the tides turn. Had you encountered, you know, anti-Semitism in past experiences on the immigration issues, for example, prior to being vocal, you know, about being Jewish? Or did people draw lines, like, for Jewish questions or issues? What was your experience with that? I think there's definitely folks who are positive of saying, you know what, let's go ahead and advocate against, you know, Israel and advocate against its policies, which is totally fine advocate against policies that you feel are wrong. But don't equate my Judaism to everything that's wrong in the Middle East. I don't get blamed for everything that the cartel does in Mexico. I don't get called on and held accountable for everything the cartel does. Don't bring my Judaism and blame me for everything that happens in the Middle East. And this 100% always happens to me. As soon as I bring in my Judaism, people always bring up the Middle Eastern conflict. Every single time in every progressive space I've been into, folks, they always ask me what my opinion is on it. And I could be talking about something completely different, right? I could be saying how I had such an amazing time in the sukkah and how I, I loved having my friends over. And then it becomes a question of like, well, what are your stance on this? Right. And I think that that's where we can really start to see that hmm, we're diving into anti-Semitism. Please, by all means, advocate for justice, advocate against any sort of policies that you feel are really wrong, but don't equate an entire people to be responsible for those policies. And especially even in immigration organizing, things aren't black and white. There is gray area in a lot of these things, especially with immigration. As an immigrant, for me, even I can understand that things aren't black and white. There are no specific policies in place. We can't just say that there's a specific answer here and there. To say that there is just ignorant. And I think that that's why I even love Judaism, because if you ask for a rabbi to give you a specific answer to a question, he'll give you another question. And I think that that's the beauty of what we're talking about here. Let's have a discussion. Let's not just close with one answer. That's so, so well said. Uh, Jason, were you going to chime in? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I, you might be getting here too, but I'm so curious to hear from you, Eddie, how it goes after the initial ignorance, the initial statements that you get that feel anti-Semitic, when you then engage in conversation and try and explain how you feel and your perspective, are you optimistic about how people receive it? I think so. We need to have conversations with people. And oftentimes we talk about having tough conversations, right? Whether you're extremely pro-Israel or extremely against Israel, how many times do those folks actually mix? We rarely do. But when we start to have active dialogue and really start to listen to people, that's when things start to change. That's when we can really start to create change. And this is why it's important for us to bring our own chair to the table, right? So that we can be there in solidarity with a lot of other organizations, a lot of other groups 
proximity is key. We have to be in proximity in the struggle with other communities. We have to be there to defend our own narrative. But if we're not there helping other organizations, and if we're not there in the struggle with other folks, how do we expect them to be able to listen to us and hear us out? When I'm there and organizations see that we've are like early Tzedek has been in the struggle and been in the work against horrible immigration policies, then we there have the rapport with these organizations to bring up these things and hear that folks are receptive to hearing it. So we've seen that there's definitely people who are receptive, but there's also definitely people who don't want to hear it, right? And I think that that also draws a line on your own morality of when is it do you see that people are not receptive? Maybe you shouldn't be in partnership with them. So let's pick up there because in a way, right, both of the projects that you work on are about engaging in these tough conversations in your own ways. So Jason, your approach to tackling anti-Semitism is through satire, right? But you're engaging in the conversation in that way. Why do you think this approach is effective and who are you hoping to target? Well, I think even more so than using satire, my approach is using truth. And truth is big for me. I think that it's easy to get sucked into an argument over, is this anti-Semitic or is this not? And I feel like when anti-Semitic things happen, that's often the debate that just consumes the entire news cycle. And it's often used as a political football where different people are just accusing each other of being anti-Semitic. And then it's about whether that was anti-Semitic or not. And that's not the point. Why is anti-Semitism harmful to society? Why is it bad? Not just because it has this inherent immoral value. For me, it's not about whether it's moral or not. It's that anti-Semitism is used by people when truth is not on their side and they're trying to avoid having to defend their ideas. You know, it makes me think of Ilhan Omar's tweet about it's all about the Benjamins. And then the debate after that was all about, is that anti-Semitic? Is that not? The apology that comes afterwards is usually something along the lines of, I'm sorry I used anti-Semitic tropes in this, but I'm not sorry about my message. When at the end of the day, people talk about how they want to be able to criticize Israel, but saying it's all about the Benjamins, implying that me as an American Jew, the only reason I support Israel or understand certain truths about the conflict is because money is being spent. That's not actually engaging in criticism of Israel. That's not actually having the conversation that Eddie was just talking about. It's important for us to be having. So my approach is not letting people get away with that, focusing on the actual merits of arguments and sensing when I feel like an anti-Semitic message is built on something that's untrue, or there's faulty assumptions out there that people are building their arguments on, or there's just an obvious truth that people aren't paying attention to. And I just want to build messaging. My episodes are about simple truths that are undeniable, not about opinion. You could listen to this truth and still hold the opinion that you have, but I at least want us to agree on the facts. And that's my approach. So Jason, just a quick follow-up for you. Obviously, Jew or False has like a John Stewart, Stephen Colbert type of vibe, right? Do you feel that shows like that have missed the boat when it comes to anti-Semitism and calling it out? And are you trying to fill that void in a way? Uh, Yes, I think that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I think a lot of the inspiration for Jew or False came seven years ago during the 2014 Gaza war. And I had always been a huge fan of The Daily Show and Jon Stewart, watched him religiously, felt like he was one of my Jewish heroes and a champion for truth. And I felt like his coverage of the Gaza war, he had an episode where he did a sketch where the punchlines were at Israel's expense. 
And that's fine, but they were at Israel's expense in a way that reinforced narratives that were generally accepted in society, but I felt were based on wrong assumptions. And I felt were unfairly scapegoating Israel. And more importantly, pulling focus away from what's really the problem in the Middle East, what really needs to be addressed for there to be a lasting peace, like incitement to hatred and one side's refusal to acknowledge the other side's right to exist. So I was very disappointed with that seven years ago. And it wasn't long afterwards that I bought the domain name JewOrFalse.com and I've been waiting to put it into action. In the past year or so, there were some more punches in the gut because some more of my comedy heroes have disappointed me. John Oliver did a segment that I thought, again, was using punchlines based on problematic narratives. Trevor Noah, same thing. And then, you know, seeing Seth Rogen, who's one of my comedy heroes and Jewish heroes, basically cyber bully Eve Barlow, who is one of those strong voices that when she started tweeting and she started getting her voice out there, made me feel less alone as a Jew that was starting to feel politically homeless. Well, Jason, I know we're all very much hoping that you're going to prove them wrong and show them how it's done. And I think you, in a way you already are. Eddie, let me turn to you. Obviously, you've mentioned this focus on progressive circles and your experience quite clearly. How does Ori Lutzedek go about specifically tackling anti-Semitism in those circles? What does that look like, that work? And what are some of the lessons learned that perhaps can be applied to other cohorts um, who share problematic anti-Semitic opinions? Yeah, definitely. Thank you for your question. I think that when we see just blatant anti-Semitism, even when it comes from a stance of, you know, not even bringing in the Middle East, when we had seen that folks were okay with the violence that was happening towards some of our Jewish community, you know, we were seeing elderly men get beat up in New York for no reason right? Just because people were angry with what was happening there and somebody happened to be visibly Jewish and organizations were okay with that. That's when we really took a stand to have one-on-ones with the EDs of these organizations, have one-on-ones with the organization's main organizers to be like, look, this is why this is hurtful, you know, and bringing in personalized stories of how anti-Semitism really can spike up and how it evolves into violence very quickly. We know that a lot of these issues can spike at a dime, you know. All it takes might be one thing to affirm some radicalized person to say, yep, what you believe is right, and here you should go commit violence. That's all it takes in organizations that when we're advocating for justice and fighting up against oppression, sometimes even just a slight validation of that, you know, that can turn people. And in progressive spaces, we have to make sure we do not become oppressors, right? We have to make sure that we are not the ones who then seek, are we seeking justice or vengeance? Are we seeking organizational growth within equity in our communities? Or are we just trying to get back at people? Or do we just want people to feel the pain that we want to feel? And that's really the conversations that we have with folks, but it has to be those direct conversations with them. We engage immediately, you know, when there was misinformation spread. And like I said, please advocate against policies that you feel are unfair. Yes, but don't blame an entire people for the issues of those policies that you feel are unfit. I believe full handedly that as Jews, we should stand up against depression, 100%. But don't do it at the expense of hurting other folks and blaming in other people for your advocacy, right? Even for our non-Jewish communities, they should really be the ones who are standing up side to side with us and saying, anti-Semitism is not cool here. 
and making sure that folks understand that even the slightest little trope has to be called out immediately. Well, it sounds like you're doing a really good job of kind of defining those lines, right? Like what is kosher, for lack of a better word, in terms of a conversation, a critique, and what is not, and what crosses the line? And I think that work needs to be done, whether in progressive circles or many other circles, not just in the anti-Semitism space, but really in conversations we're having across the United States on a variety of issues. So I think a lot of lessons can be drawn from that. I'm sorry that we don't have more time because I think I could talk to the two of you about your initiatives for many hours, but I want to thank you both so much for joining us and congratulations again on being winners of AJC's Disrupt Antisemitism. And we're so excited to see where your initiatives lead. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much to AJC for making this all possible. This just makes our community grow and makes us all feel proud and safe to be in our works and our communities as Jews. So thank you so much to AJC. Thank you both. Now it's time for our closing segment, Shabbat Table Talk. And with me is my guest host, Bell Ueli, AJC's chief advocacy officer. Bell, Jew or false, those guys are not afraid to look anti-Semitism in the eye and punch it in the gut. Am I right? Absolutely right. The answer is Jew, but actually more accurately, it's true. It's absolutely true. Monda, good to be with you. You were on the selection panel And I'm just curious what your impression of the winners and really all the applicants, what impression did they make on you? You know, it's interesting. I've been reflecting a lot over the past couple of days since we announced the winners and really, I shouldn't say finish this process because in a way it's only just beginning, right? Where we announced the winners now begins mentorship and figuring out ways to do more of this, right? To bring more young people and their ideas to the forefront. And I just think I feel lucky. I mean, we went through so many applications and it's unfortunate that we couldn't fund all of these ideas, but I just have been so inspired by the notion that there are so many young people out there who are really on the front lines and trying to engage in this work. And they don't necessarily do it full-time. They might be students, they might have jobs, but they care a lot about the anti-Semitism that's happening in our country and they want to try to fix it just looking at the different ideas and trying to figure out, okay, these are all great. They're really all great, but what are going to be most impactful right now? If we could fund something right now, and that was kind of our guiding beacon. And, you know, we hear a lot in our work in the Jewish organizational space about young people being apathetic or not caring about Israel. And there's this big concern about both of those things. And this initiative in itself, these individuals who came out and said, This is what I want to do. This is how I want to make a difference. This is proof. They are proof. Their ideas are proof. That's simply not the case. Young people are engaged. They care about their Jewish identity. They care about Israel. They care about protecting Jewish values and a country that allows Jews to thrive and be a contributing part of society. So, you know, overall, aside from being inspired by these really incredible individuals, I feel hopeful, hopeful for the Jewish future. You made a really good point earlier that, you know, this is not something that they do for a living. This is their students, their professionals, and then they do this on the side. I mean, you and I do this for a living, right? We get paid to do this full time. We are fortunate to do something that we're passionate about, but it's something that they're doing on the side. And I think that that's really, that's an important point to make. Some are professionals, right? But overall, we have a big mix. And it's whether you're a professional or you are doing this as a side, either way, you're dedicating time, time and effort in a way that it takes a lot of effort, both of those things. It takes a lot of, to use a Jewish word, chutzpah, really. So we just met two of the winners, but there were five altogether. Tell us about the others. So we had the Intercommunity Youth Initiative, which was 
This was one of those ideas that really pulled on the heartstrings. It's an idea that was conceived by students from Yeshiva University, Los Angeles. And their idea is to bring Jewish and non-Jewish students together for this type of fellowship program that fosters understanding of, you know, different cultures, different identities, and fights anti-Semitism and racism together. This idea in particular, first of all, it was really nice because the idea of bringing Jews and non-Jews together, I think, is really critical in this work. And again, these are young people. This is high school students. And it just goes to show how local this work needs to be and how important it is just creating those spaces for conversation. This is one that I was particularly inspired by because, again, these are students. They're just beginning in some ways. So I was really, really impressed by that particular cohort. The others, New Zionist Congress. You know, we've heard a lot from one of the founders, Blake Flayton. He's all over social media. This idea of kind of reinvigorating, it's an organization that organizes Zionist young Jews, brings them together, and really to stand up for their Jewish identity and for Israel. They've made a big splash and we were just excited to support them and allow them to continue to do the work that they're doing. It's exciting to see, you know, if you think back to kind of the, the founding of the state of Israel and when Jewish communities were organizing, bringing like Zionist organizations together and really having these conversations and bringing these big ideas, right, about big change that needs to happen. I think that's what New Zionist Congress is doing and reinvigorating this idea of Jewish pride in a way that's really powerful. They have a lot more to do and we'll continue to see a big splash from them and we're excited to be a part of it. And finally, last but certainly not least, Olive Branch Pictures is a comic and animation studio that seeks to foster mutual understanding between Israelis and Palestinians. And they're working on a graphic novel called Shira and Amal. And this was particularly interesting because when we first saw this project, you know, you don't necessarily easily connect the dots between a video about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and disrupting anti-Semitism in the United States. You know, it's not necessarily so easy to make that jump. But what we realize is that, as we know, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is so infused into the conversations in the United States around Zionism and unfortunately around anti-Semitism, there's this blurring of the lines. So the idea that we could support a film that tries to break down these barriers, right? And tries to show the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in a different light and foster mutual understanding and coping with the issues that both sides of the conflict have, that we could support that and perhaps infuse that into the conversation, kind of the narrative that isn't really present when these conversations are brought up in the United States. That sounded like a really good idea to us. And we were really impressed by the work and really excited to see how this comes out. So that's just a snippet. And there are many more details, but just really amazing projects. And we're so excited to be supporting these winners. Well, I mean, I have to say, of course, the high school students really grabbed me as well, especially since when I was in high school, I was so busy hiding the fact that I was Jewish that I'm always very impressed when teenagers express Jewish pride and then take it a step further and really try to fight anti-Semitism and misunderstanding about Jews out there. But I also was really grabbed by the Olive Branch Project and, you know, maybe because I watch a lot of cartoons in our house and see a lot of graphic novels crossing my seven-year-old's desk. It really grabbed me because I took a look at the cartoons creator, Olive Branch Studios, and two things caught my eye on their website. The project manager, for one, didn't have a photo online in order to protect his identity, which I found incredibly sad that someone who works for a peaceful resolution to a conflict would feel that his life or his family's lives are in danger. And then the advisory board includes a former ambassador to the Palestinian Authority and the creator of the Palestinian Sesame Street. And I found that incredibly heartening. 
But the Olive Branch Studios' theories about mythology, again, maybe I spend a lot of time, too much time reading about Greek and Roman mythology in our house, but Olive Branch borrows from Joseph Campbell's power of myth. And they talk about the power of storytelling to influence society and shape a conflict. Hey, it's what we see every day on Instagram, right? I mean, the anti-Semitic memes and the Instagraphics that spread misinformation and, you know, and shape the narrative. And I love that Olive Branch is turning that on its head and using that power for good. That really grabbed me. I love that. I love what you said. And I think that kind of speaks to the theme of a lot of the projects, those that were pitched and the winners. Like we're trying to change the conversation, right? Like take what is and, and turn it around for the better. I mean, that's how I feel yeah. about a lot of these projects, just like accepting reality, but not fully accepting it, like flipping it on its head. And I think there's some power in that. Yes, yes. Well, congratulations to all the winners and to all the applicants for coming up with such bold ideas to punch anti-Semitism in the gut, as I said earlier. I hope all of them carry out those plans in, in some form or fashion, and I look forward to seeing the results. Belle, thank you for joining me this week. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Thank you for listening. If you missed last week's episode, be sure to tune in for a conversation with former American ambassador to Israel, Martin Indyk, about his new book on Henry Kissinger. And happy birthday, American Jewish Committee. The team here at People of the Pod appreciates everything our colleagues do to protect the well-being and future of the Jewish people. We thank you. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producers are Kukong Do and Atara Lakritz. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or learn more at ajc.org slash peopleofthepod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at ajc.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to tell your friends, tag us on social media with hashtag peopleofthepod, and hop on to Apple Podcasts to rate us and write a review to help more listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod.